Hi, everyone. So for this week's Ask Me Anything, I want to tackle a couple different questions. But before I do that, one of the men in my men's group said something to me that made me think that I need to clarify a couple things based on the way that I've told my story in the past. I was encouraging him to explore Christianity more deeply, and he had said this is his wandering time and that I had my own wandering time, and he was wondering how long it took between when I was introduced to Christ at Burning Man when I got baptized, and I told him it was about five years. But the thing is, I made very clear to him, as I'd like to make very clear to all of you, that nothing in my story should be taken as an excuse to go and try and do these things for yourselves. What I don't want you to hear in my telling of my story through all my wanderings through the New Age and Eastern mysticism and ayahuasca is that Will got to do these things and he became a Christian later. That means I get to do those things as well. And here's why this really matters. I didn't know what I was doing. I was exposed to the truth, but I didn't recognize it as the truth at the time, which seems kind of comical now that I think about it. But because I was proceeding solely within my own naivete with a clear conscience, I believe that is the only possible reason that I can think of why I was kept safe during my many years of courting disaster. Now, that's my only earthly reason that I can think of. I was not owed that protection at all. As I look back on the things that I did while traveling overseas, the things I was exposed to through ayahuasca and Buddhist meditation and the largest Hindu festival in the world, 190 million Hindus bathing in the Ganges River and all the other New Age practices that I was exposed to, there is no reason why I was owed the opportunity to be brought through those worlds safely. And yet I was. And I give thanks to God for it every single day. And that's not even including the adventurous things that I did, like sailing across the ocean or climbing mountains, or wandering around being a six-foot-tall white guy in relatively impoverished countries. I was in real, physical, moral, and spiritual danger while I traveled. And what I really want to make sure that you guys hear is not that you should go do these things because it's all going to work out. If you hear me telling you this now, you no longer have that option. We can all think of the image of the man blissfully skipping through the field of daisies while things are exploding behind him and steep cliffs are opening up to either side and he simply can't perceive around him what's going on. That was me. I was purely ignorant. In fact, the correct term is impenetrably ignorant. I didn't know what I didn't know. But because I was proceeding in that pure naivete, listening to my conscience and keeping my eyes open, I was able to maintain what we might call a degree of innocence that I think somehow kept me safe. Now, I don't think that we contribute anything to our salvation or our election. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that I conducted myself in a very specific way when I traveled. I wasn't rejecting anything consciously to go and do these other things. And that's important. I didn't say, yeah, yeah, when I get back, I'll look into that truth thing. I'll look into that Christianity thing. Instead, I naively, in blissful ignorance, turned to go do a whole bunch of dangerous stuff. So we can say, in very real fact, that God's providence was all over me. And sometimes, when I look back on the things that I did, I am genuinely horrified. I didn't do anything evil. I didn't harm anybody. There was no human sacrifice or anything like that. But messing with the doctrines of demons is no joke. 
I have seen and experienced horrifying things while on my psychedelic journeys. I didn't know how to contextualize them at the time, but looking back now, I can see that they were my exposure to the demonic and that I was kept safe from things going much worse than they could indicates to me that I have been very blessed. I do not recommend you walk this path. And what I don't want you to hear when I discuss about my time in the New Age is any encouragement to go try these things or that they were fun or that they were worth doing. Please do not let my story be an excuse for you to pursue things that you shouldn't do. Will did it, therefore it's okay. In case I haven't been explicitly clear about that, it is not okay. Even though I did it, it is not okay. Because there is no reason for me to be here. If my sole contribution to the process was not being consciously wicked, that's not very much of a contribution at all. Because bad things happen to good people all the time. I was making myself available for bad things to happen to me. And they didn't. That is solely God's grace and God's favor to me. And I do not suggest that any Christian or non-Christian man or woman put God to the test. So in podcasts, in interviews, when you hear me talking about my past, please do not hear any encouragement on my part to pursue or investigate any of these activities. I have never wanted to be encouraging in this regard. If I can do one thing, it is to warn you far, far away from them. So if you've listened to my podcast and you've heard me talk about these experiences and they've made you curious to the point where you've considered exploring them for yourself, please email me at info at renofmen.com so that I can actively dissuade you from that pursuit. I have found everything that I'm looking for in Christ and the Bible. In fact, far more than I ever knew was possible or available. I have eaten in the pig's trough. There is nothing in there worth trying. I know that the mainstream media celebrates and even encourages these practices, and we're going to see much more of it very soon. In fact, the U.S. military even sent an email to the Veterans Administration encouraging psychedelics use for dealing with traumatic experiences. My friend Louis Unget, who wrote The Return of the Dragon, which is all about the connection between psychedelics, serpent worship, and human sacrifice, documents the ongoing push of psychedelics into culture. I would like to discourage you in the strongest terms from ever even considering participating in these activities. They are ungodly, unchristian, dangerous, and demonic. So just to wrap up this set of thoughts, please do not hear in my story the idea that Will went and did it for five years, I can go do it too. That is not up to me. That is up to God. And I don't think operating under the assumption that he's going to bail you out like he did me is going to work out in your favor. So to change topics quickly, the first question is about relationships and the touchy topic of submission. We're going there today, aren't we? The question is, how long do you give a woman to submission? Or how long do you give yourself to fully occupy a position of authority? I think submission and authority are verbs, not nouns. So they are always a work in progress, but I'm wondering at what point we decide to throw in the towel on a woman versus keeping up with a steady pressure. I like a lot of the observations in this question. Now, since I'm not a married man, this is a very difficult question for me to answer. I might recommend talking to someone like Will Nolan from Nolan Knows 
or reading some of the work from Doug Wilson. I think he has a very famous book called The Federal Husband, something like that. But I can give you my theoretical answer. Theoretically, a man should be building his train and getting his train moving down the tracks in his chosen direction as a man. You should be building physical health, emotional resilience, mental clarity, and spiritual discipline and establishing yourself in your chosen career, building a reputation and some momentum. When you have those elements put together, that's what I call your frame. You are a healthy, well-put-together man with momentum and direction in your career and your pursuits. You've invested time and energy into building your life into something that is going in a direction that you've worked hard to achieve. Building momentum in our lives as men is very, very difficult. Momentum is very precious. Someone once said to me that with momentum, you can get all the money in the world, but all the money in the world can't buy you momentum. I really liked that statement. You can't buy momentum. You have to build it with the contribution of your energy and effort. And once you have it, you want to build upon it because momentum can take you and your life as a man where you want to go. So if you as a man have built momentum in your life to be going in your chosen direction, you should pursue that direction with all deliberate speed. And the Christian perspective says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added onto you. So if you're behaving in a godly, biblical, masculine way, behaving in a disciplined way in your earthly life and a disciplined way in your faith life, at the right time, the right woman will come along. And if there's a woman in your life currently and you're not sure that she's coming along, you keep walking in the direction that you go with all deliberate speed and you give her the opportunity to choose to be with who you are as a man. You have to set the standard of how you intend to live the man that you intend to be and let her see you doing that. And she is capable of making the choice if that is the kind of man that she wants to be with, if he's offering the life that she wants to be a part of. Now, there's a lot of fungible issues that are kind of baked into this. The woman that you're with might not know everything that you do about the life that you intend to lead. So there may be some teaching required. There may be some giving her of the opportunity to step into the ways that you live. And that has to be extended openly and lovingly and honestly. Because if she's getting on board your train, you might have to explain to her what the rules, so to speak, of the passengers are what the ticket looks like, etc. So there's a little bit of teaching involved with that. But on the other side, there's a great deal of consistency involved with your actions and behaviors. Act as if. Live the way that you intend to live. Let her see you do that. And then she gets to decide for herself if she wants to come along with you. And you also get to make the decision if this is a woman who will aid your mission or if she will take away from it. This is probably one of the hardest things that a lot of men will be struggling with today is building momentum in their lives and wanting to find a partner and finding that their expectations for their lives as men are mismatched with the general expectations that women have of their lives. In fact, we're beginning to see this in sociological data that young men are trending towards more conservative and young women are trending more towards liberal, meaning that their expectations for life are diverging this is not a very favorable sign. So the question then becomes, does a man compromise on his life in order to bring a woman on board? Is that a winning strategy? I don't necessarily think that it is. God can raise up sons of Abraham from stones, 
he can probably find the right woman for your life at the right time if you walk faithfully with him. So one of the things that I liked about this question is that submission and authority are verbs, not nouns. And what I think this questioner means by that is that these two things work together in harmony. Submission is not just a thing that you are given, nor is authority a thing that you are given. It's a thing you have to continually work to earn for the man's side, and submission is a thing that a woman constantly has to work to remain in on the woman's side. And the more the man steps into his authority, the easier theoretically it is for a godly woman to remain in a place of submission. So it's an ongoing process. So the question is, are they always a work in progress, but at what point do we decide to throw in the towel on a woman versus keeping up with steady pressure? I don't think there's any hard and fast rule about this. I think you just have to feel it out, and you have to put maximum effort into your life to build it in the way that you want to now and figure it out as you go. And you have to decide if the gaps between you are bridgeable. You have to bring difficult subjects into the light and say, hey, this is how I intend to live. Is this something that you can get down with? So for example, about a week ago, I was in Schenectady, New York, speaking at a conference. In order to arrive on time and to be able to stay throughout the end of the conference, I had to fly to New York on Thursday and fly out on Monday. So that ended up being a five-day trip for a three-day conference. A five-day trip is a significant amount of time, and I'm pretty sure that's not the last conference that I'm going to be speaking at. So one of the things that I've had to communicate is that it is entirely possible that for stretches of my professional career, I'll be traveling and speaking, which will take me out of the home. I don't intend to be out of the home for long stretches like my overseas travels, but there may be several weekends of the year or weeks where I'm on the road. It would be completely appropriate for a woman to not have that expectation of her future husband, that he be reliably in town and not travel often without her. There's a caretaking burden for the home and kids involved with that, plus a burden of trust, separation, loneliness, etc. So in my case, I would need to state, this appears to be my life. Is this something that you're willing to accommodate in your husband? Are you okay with this? Because this is the direction that I'm going. This is the man that I am. And so in submission and authority, it works a little bit like this. These are my expectations as a man. This is the direction my life is going. I've built momentum in this direction. This is the direction the train is going. Do you want to jump on board this train? Or would you like to remain at the station for the next train? But if you get on board this train, this is what the ride will look like. And I think that conversation can be had very openly. And as long as you continue maintaining momentum in that direction, you preserve your authority, which makes it easier for a woman to remain in a state of submission because she agreed to be with you. You stated your requirements up front so there can be no confusion. Saying something like, oh, but I didn't know that you were serious is not a viable option for adults. So you state your expectations up front for what you anticipate your life to be, you live them out consistently and demonstrate that, and then you express what the expectations would be for your partner, and you allow her to respond, yes or no, and if she answers yes, then you spend some time determining if you can actually make that work. How long do you spend on it? It's really impossible to say. And again, I'm speaking purely theoretically, so I would defer to married couples to understand how to work through potential sticking points and how to understand whether or not you've actually reached a critical impasse, or if there's something that you can give on your end to lead and bring her along. 
So again, I would reach out to someone like a Will Noland or perhaps a Nate Spearing or other Christian married men in your circle to find out how they navigated their part in the courtship process, understanding different expectations for life. Some other names to talk to might be Mike Pantile or Brandon from Masculine Revival, men like that. Another thing to think about is that this will look different for different men and women at different ages. Men and women in their young 20s are very different from men and women in their mid-30s and 40s. Once you start getting into your 30s and 40s, there's more pieces of the two people that need to be woven together. We're more finished. Hopefully, we've rounded off some of our rougher edges, but our sharp edges, we may have just kind of decided they're just going to be sharp. So it's a little bit more complicated of a puzzle. It'll require longer to find out who the other person is because there are more layers to their personality and there are more details about their past and their expectations for their future than they might have when they're in their early 20s. This is just part of the game. So adjust this based on where you're at in your life. Again, I'll speak for myself. I'm a fairly complicated guy. I've done a lot to stand off a lot of my rough edges, but I know who I am, in part because I've gone and traveled to see the world. I've seen myself through various stressful and difficult situations, and I know how I show up. Alison Armstrong would describe me as being in the king phase of life. You've often heard me talk about her book, The Queen's Code. She wrote a prequel to that book called The Keys to the Kingdom, which is about the five stages of a man's life. You have page, knight, prince, king, and then elder. She and I spoke about this personally, and she evaluated that I was at the king stage of life. I know who I am, I know what I want, and it's pretty fixed. I think this is a good thing, but it makes the calculation for me when working with somebody a little different than someone at the night stage who's still trying to figure out who he is, or someone at the print stage who's still at the stage of building. Men at that stage in their life have more aspects of them that are flexible, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as you keep moving in the direction of your priorities. A man at an earlier stage of life may have less lovingly fixed opinions about things. And before you recall the notion of having fixed opinions about things, mostly because we've encountered fathers or grandfathers who say things like, this is just how I am, and they're very difficult about it, having a lovingly fixed opinion is an aspect of ourselves as men that has been tested and found durable, not just a habit we've developed that we don't want anyone to challenge. And a life well-lived as a man means that we've developed many lovingly fixed opinions about ourselves, which gives solidity and weight and gravitas to us. So if we live our lives well as men, we begin developing lovingly fixed opinions, which can be more difficult for partnership later on versus when we're younger men and we have, by nature, few lovingly fixed opinions. But men of all ages can still have bad habits, but that's another discussion. So to sum up my answer to the question, you as a man are first and primarily responsible for building healthy momentum in your life and going in that direction, and being that man, and allowing the woman to decide whether she wants to get on board the train where you've decided for it to go. This is what leadership means. This is what headship means. If you follow that road in a godly way, all these things will be added on to you. The process of knitting together two lives will be different based on whether you're older or younger. A younger man and woman will have less details of their lives to knit together versus an older man and woman. So please reach out to your favorite married content creator to ask how they went about the process of knitting their lives together at the right stage of life. Because I also don't want to give you the excuse to quit when things get difficult because she's not going your way. As a man, you are required to lead, 
You are required to be inviting. You are not supposed to be distant and forbidding. You have to be open, warm, loving, and inviting, and invite her on to the train as you explain to her where the train is going and how the conductor drives. These are my operating theories. Please don't take them as gospel. Please find a married couple near you to confirm, contradict, or refine them. And that question took up quite a bit more time and energy than I expected. So I think I'll leave it there with this one. So just before I wrap up, I wanted to let you know that the third edition of the Renaissance Men Digital Conference has been announced coming up on Saturday, November 11th. I've got David Hammond, Rob from The Grounded Athlete, Blood and Rain, Jonathan West, The Iron Disciples, and Kaz TV talking about six masculine virtues. You can go to renofmen.com conference to find out more and enter the code renofmen to take $5 off. This is going to be the third full day event on Zoom. I couldn't be more excited. All the speakers are especially excited as well, and I can't wait to hear what they've got to say. And also, as always, the Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee. You can go to reformationcoffee.com and order one of their four signature roasts, Ethiopia, India, Brazil, and Guatemala, and you can use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee when you make it a regular thing and sign up for a subscription. Be looking out this week for a new podcast, an interview with Forrest Cooper, the host of the Redacted Culture Cast. We did four and a half hours on the idea of whether a weak man can be good, and it was by far one of the greatest conversations I've ever had on this podcast. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this, and I'm so grateful for all of you for being the kind of audience that lets me do four and a half hour podcasts, because I know you'll come along for the ride. So that's going to be out on Friday. Set aside some time. I think you're really going to love it. And I look forward to another Ask Me Anything next week. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.